Amen and amen. All right, so we're gonna go about four weeks on this subject of eternal rewards. And, and really what I wanna do today is I want to just sort of give us an introduction. I wanna crystallize these ideas for us uh, so that, that we can connect them uh, more precisely, more specifically. Uh, I think um, often when we talk about the subject of eternal rewards, you know, it, it, it's kind of this thing where, you, you know, if we gave a test, everybody, and we said, okay, are there eternal rewards? You, you pass the test out to this room and everybody goes, yes, there are eternal rewards. And, and then it kind of doesn't go much further than that because we, we're challenged in believing what we can't see. And so because we can't see them and we don't know, you know details about you know, the ages to come as much as we need to and, and we don't really comprehend what the eternal rewards are, we, we tend to agree about them with our minds but then live as if we're not really living for them. And, and what I mean by not living for eternal rewards is we, we live primarily for what we can see, touch, feel, taste right here and right now. Now, the thing about that is this, that there is so much in the scripture about eternal rewards, uh, and, and the reason that it's there is to inform us that we shouldn't live our lives for uh, the immediate you know, gratification of, of our desires and our flesh, but that we should live our lives with a vision of a very important day that's in front of all of us, and that's the judgment seat of Christ, where Jesus will reward uh, saints according to our works. And so, this is the thing I want you to get right now. Every last person, every one of us, has an appointment. An appointment with Jesus. Now, whether you remember that you have this appointment, it really doesn't matter because you will be there. In other words, you, you may forget about this appointment, but this is one appointment that you may forget about that you will still end up showing up at. Now, it matters that you remember it in terms of how you act and live in this age. It's critical that you remember it. But I wanna just make that very, very clear that if you're thinking about your calendar and your schedule, there's a day in your future there's a really, really, really important day in your future. And it's when you and I and each of us, no one gets to sidestep it, when we get to stand before the Lord and the Lord will review our works, he'll review our thoughts, he'll review our deeds, and he will reward us according to how we lived in this age. Now, the truth of that should radically impact how we live our lives on the earth. Now, the challenge for most is this. As I just said, we would agree that that day is coming, but because it's unclear to us, oftentimes the um, urgency of the immediate, the tyranny of the urgent, it grabs our attention and it causes our focus to be primarily on what's here and right now, instead of living in a way that we're really, really living for that day of reward and blessing before the Lord. So what I desire to do uh, in, in, in this message tonight is to sort of crystallize the truth of it for you. And then over the next few weeks, we wanna talk about the judgment seat of Christ. We wanna talk about the different rewards. We wanna talk about how we qualify for rewards, what it actually looks like and really get our hearts around it so that the trajectory of our hearts can shift and we can live in a way that makes sense with what's real. Amen. All right, so let's look at the outline here. Now, the rewarding of the saints, it is one of the central themes of the New Testament. You might think it's just one of those side issues, but it is not a side issue in the kingdom of God. Believers who persevere... Everybody say persevere. persevere. Persevere, that's a good word. I was looking at it this week. That word, it, 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 it has, the, the, the Greek of it has so many different kind of tributaries to it. But, uh, you know, just the thought of persevering requires that there has to be obstacles. There has to be difficulties. You know, the scripture says through many 
trials we enter the kingdom of God. There's got to be a persevering attitude for believers in this age. Uh, it's, it's just not easy street serving Jesus in a world that is under the sway of uh, someone who mortally hates you. It's called the sway of the, this world system and the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself, hates Christianity, hates Christians, hates Jesus, and the Lord calls us to live by his kingdom while we're actually behind enemy lines. Requ- it's required that we persevere in this age. Believers who persevere in faithfulness in this age will receive rewards from the Lord. Now, I've, in a couple places in the outline, I've enumerated verse after verse after verse after verse. What I'm asking you to do is to take this outline and go into your time of prayer and study this week, take it into the prayer room or, or wherever you, you study the word and look up these verses because this needs to impact us. This needs to, to make an uh, uh, imprint on our soul so that we, we shift if we need to in the way we're living. Now look at what Jesus said, Revelation 22 verse 12. Right there at the end of the book of Revelation... As the canon of scripture is closing, Jesus says some very important things. He's going to leave an exclamation point for us. And he says this, he says, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Now, the Lord puts that exclamation point right there at the end of the book of Revelation to you know, make an imprint on us, but it's kind of like this. It's like the last, one of the last things he says, so it's one of the first things we should think about. And that's why it's there, and that's why he says it. And he says it multiple times. He's coming, and his reward is with him. But right there at the end of the book of Revelation, he goes, I'm coming, and my reward is with me. Now, the challenge, I think, is this, that many believers, unfortunately, don't live for eternal rewards because they don't actually have faith in them, as I was saying. They don't see them and so they can't connect to them. They, they may mentally assent to them, but because they don't think of them regularly or understand them, they live for temporal pleasures and accomplishments primarily. Now, here's the thing. Our, our, almost, our entire culture in the West is about temporal pleasure and temporal accomplishments. Did you get the raise? Did you get the new house? You know what I'm saying? Did you, did you get the... The, the reward? Did you get the bonus? And did you get the degree? And, and so everything that we uh, kind of prioritize in our society, in our culture, is about here and now. Did, did, you, did you pass the test? And now here's the thing. I think we should pass tests. I think we should get raises. I think we should apply ourselves and be excellent in everything that we do. But I don't think the fullness and the finality of our focus needs to be on things that are here and now. I think we should live excellently for the glory of God and allow the Lord to bring blessing to us in the way he desires in this age, but the entire time having our mindset on that very important day that's to come when we stand before the Lord and he reviews the works of our life. And so the challenge for many is getting the the truth of eternal rewards uh, clarified, but then prioritizing them above temporal pleasures and earthly accolades. Does that make sense what I'm saying? To actually prioritize eternal rewards above the pursuit of natural things. That would, I mean, that would cause somebody to live completely differently. So, uh, see, I, I say this, that in the kingdom of God, eternal rewards that are not a side issue at all, they're actually uh, the chief motivator that Jesus used to, to inspire people to works of righteousness and love. Jesus continually used eternal rewards as a mechanism to cause people's hearts to want to agree with loving, serving, giving, blessing, fasting, praying, and, and, and living a life that accords with righteousness instead of carnality. And so again, a list of verses for you I want you to take those and read them, but look at this one in Matthew 6. It's an explicit word from Jesus about this issue of eternal rewards. He says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth 
and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Speaking specifically to us about how we are to live our lives in this age and what is to be the focus of our desire and what we are supposed to go after. He says, don't go after earthly treasures, go after heavenly rewards. And now imagine Jesus shows up shows up to you, says, hey, listen, listen, I gotta give you a a key to life. You go, okay, I'm ready, Jesus. Give me the key to life. He goes, don't live for earthly platforms, accolades, promotions. Don't live for earthly treasures at all. Live for heavenly rewards. You're like, whoa, not earthly, heavenly. He goes, that's right. And then he goes, bye, and he disappears. You'd be like, First, you're like, what was that? That was awesome. And then you'd be like, whoa, he just told me to orient my entire life in an opposite way of the way the culture in the world that I live in operates. That passage and the volume of the New Testament is even more direct than if you had a first person visitation from the Lord. Over and over and over and over again, the, the, the testimony of the New Testament and really of the entire scripture is live for the ages to come, live for the rewards of the judgment seat, don't live for the passing pleasures of this age, don't live for immediate gratification, live for the kingdom of God, don't live for the here and now. Now that requires us to rethink the way that we go about living our lives. And when I see Jesus saying something this direct, it says, do not, do not lay up for yourself treasures on the earth. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures. And when I see him saying something that specific, then it begs the questions that I've got here in the outline and and many more. But uh, that just requires me to begin to ask the real hard questions of my own heart. One, under D, have we focused, how have we focused our lives today so that we can receive the rewards of the age to come. Now, don't just let that be words on a, on a page. Like, let that question actually penetrate the way, you know, penetrate your mind. How have we focused, how have you, how have I focused how we live today so that we can receive the rewards of the age to come? What are the sacrifices that we've made? What are what are the, the ways that we've oriented our life so that we push off immediate gratification and we live for the pleasures of heaven? And, and then further, how have we resisted the temptations for immediate gratification and temporal pleasures to receive those eternal treasures? How is that going for you? Listen, I want you to stand before the Lord on that day and for the Lord to smile and to say, well done, and to reward you with, I mean, bounty untold. I want him to bless your socks off. I want him to give you treasures that you've never dreamt of. And thus, I have to tell you, live your life in a way that makes sense for that day above living your life in a way that makes sense for this day. Shift how you're living. If you're not living in a way that makes sense for that day, shift it. Change how you're living. Allow the Holy Spirit to investigate your soul and to really deal with the way that you're orienting your life and to call you in a different way, a different manner of life. If you can get a vision for what's real, and live for eternal rewards rather than temporal pleasures, it will radically shift the trajectory of your life. You'll live for that day instead of this one. All right, Roman numeral two. Now here's what I wanna do. I wanna just, again, I wanna emphasize the value and the reality of these rewards. I think one of our biggest hurdles that we have to overcome is seeing eternal rewards as legit, like seeing them as real. 
uh, you know, it's, it's just kind of that thing. If, they, if it just stays out there in that wispy sort of imaginary zone and it's not real to us that you actually have a real appointment and that there are real rewards, like if that's not real to you, it won't impact how you live day in and day out. It won't cause you to change your speech, your thoughts, and your actions. If it's wispy, it won't impact you. But if it's clear, it will shift you. And that's what we have to have. We have to have lives that make sense in light of that day. And the only way for that to happen for us is for it to get really clear that these rewards are real, that they're precious, they're prestigious, they're important, they're valuable. And so let's just look at a few thoughts here. I want us to place the same weight on eternal rewards that Jesus and the disciples did, and I want to live in light of them. And so we've got to get clarity on their realness, on the reality of them. So flip on over Hebrews 11. Look at this verse, and we'll do a little crowd participation here. Hebrews 11:6. you know this verse. Now, if you were here this morning, don't blurt out the answer. Always like that guy in the class. Knew the answer, spoiled it for everybody. All right, don't do that. All right. 11, verse six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, I'm gonna read it again. And as I do, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, there's one word that's sticking out to me as I've been meditating on this passage. And when I read it again, I just want you to dial into whatever one word sticks out to you. And then I'm going to just take, you know, I want to hear it from you, which word sticks out the most. So again, it says, Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So tell me what word sticks out to you the most? Okay, this is one at a time. Raise your hand. Here. Seek. Diligently, I heard, yes. Impossible. It's impossible to please him. Please. Good. Rewarder. I heard faith. Must. Now. That's the word that sticks out to me, must. This morning we hit all the good words and I went, those are all good ones, but none of those are sticking out, but no must. Must is sticking out because it's not this, it's a good idea to think about rewards. He must. The one who comes to God must believe that he is and must believe that he's a rewarder. Must believe, must, must, must. This is not optional. This is not a good idea. This is not just like, hey, maybe think about it, consider this. There's a must on it. And I wanna get us from a casual approach over to must. I want you to live every day with the must believe that he's a rewarder. Must, there's such an urgency there's, there's such a finality. There's such a, a definiteness on must. We have to get this. That's the point. We've got to get it. All right, so there's several facts that I'm going to lay out here that are going to sharpen us. Now, there's obviously way more facts about eternal rewards than these, but these are ones that are going to help us sharpen our vision. All right, first is this. Eternal rewards are ultimately meaningful. Now, that that hits right against the problem that I think most of us have is we see them as not important, not meaningful. We see them as sort of wispy and just something out there, who knows? Uh, but no, eternal rewards are ultimately meaningful or meaningful in an ultimate way, a final way, and, and the greatest way is the idea. Now, the duration, the scale, and the prestige of any reward determines the meaning and the value of that reward. The duration, the scale, and the prestige. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean this. If, when you were in kindergarten, you got student of the week in your kindergarten classroom award, it's an amazing reward. We all want 
our children to get student of the week in their classroom, in their kindergarten classroom. If you got that reward, amazing reward, right? But it lasts a week. It's for the kindergarten class, just one of them, right? And it's given by the kindergarten teacher. Not that kindergarten teachers are awesome. If you're, not a kinder, if you're a kindergarten teacher in here, you're awesome. I'm just saying, yes, amen. I'm saying that's not the most prestigious reward there is. That's all. Small scale, small group, not that prestigious. Now, if you got teacher of the year for Gwinnett County, right? It's bigger scale, bigger duration, and a larger office, the entire county, not just the little classroom. Do you see, see what I'm saying? So something for it to be ultimately meaningful, it has to have the highest duration, the highest scale, and the highest prestige. And, and here's the point. Eternal rewards are ultimately meaningful because they're of eternal value. We will often work extremely hard for rewards that are merely temporal and of no significance beyond the week or month in which we receive them. We want to be salesman of the month, teacher of the quarter. We want to get perfect attendance. Glory, do we have any perfect attendance people? Way to go. Kindergarten through high school. Go ahead. There's always a handful of those folks around. I just bless you. I don't know how you did that, but way to go. The thing about it is we work so hard for all of these rewards and accolades that are all temporary. They're all temporary. And because they're temporary, here's the hard part to swallow, they're mostly meaningless. They're ultimately mostly meaningless. Just let that settle in for a minute. Not saying we shouldn't excel. Not saying we shouldn't give glory to God by working as under the Lord and working in a way that, that shows that you're from a different kingdom. I'm just saying that the reward themselves, those rewards themselves, they're mostly meaningless because they don't carry any eternal weight. Even rewards that last a lifetime, even the remote, most sought after rewards on our planet, even stuff like the Nobel Prize or, you know, Hall of Fame, you know, these kind of rewards that are just, they're, they're international in scope and things of that nature. You know, the, the soccer championship that, I mean, in, in, our, in our nation, soccer is not a big deal, but around the world, it's the biggest deal. The team that wins that, that championship, man, everybody just, that's the highest reward, right? Yeah, they're basically meaningless, because they're not eternal. In a million years, we're never gonna look back and go, man, they won the Super Bowl. He was the most valuable player. No one is going to be thinking that. He won a Pulitzer Prize. I'm just telling you, in a million years, the true meaning of those rewards will become super, super, super clear. And this is what I mean by living our lives according to what's here and now. We have all these standards of human success, all these degrees of accomplishment and accolades. And, and here's the thing, because we don't see the judgment seat, we don't see the rewards that we could be shooting for, we shoot for infinitely inferior rewards. We, we tune our lives to them and we live for them instead of for rewards that will not perish. Paul contrasted, he said, he goes, many people, they run for a perishable crown, but not us. We for an imperishable crown. So eternal rewards that Jesus wants to give, they're ultimately meaningful. They're, they're they're of the highest authority, they last forever, and they're based on the most important things. And I'm gonna talk about that in just a minute. And so because they're ultimately meaningful, they're uniquely real, which, which means this, that every other human reward is essentially 
unreal. And I just bless you with all your first place ribbons. God bless you. But the value of them in light of eternity is next to nothing. And this is what we have to catch, that there are real rewards that really are meaningful and they're worth so much. Let's not live our lives for rewards that will perish and be corrupted. Let's live our lives for rewards that will matter forever and that are meaningful. Secondly, they're exceedingly prestigious. I wrote this, the, the, the prestige of any reward is determined by the authority and the grandeur of the rewarding person or body. In other words, the higher the authority of the person that gives the reward, the higher the prestige of the reward. In other words, if, if you got a, a reward from the county commissioner versus a, a reward from, say, the, the governor of a state versus a reward from, say, the president of the nation, the prestige of the reward goes up based on who's granting the reward, right? So the highest earthly office is infinitely below the office and the authority of the one who wants to grant reward to us. You could receive the earth award for best whatever and it would be nothing compared to one of the rewards that Jesus wants to give. If we compare the weight if we compare the weight of any earthly reward against any eternal reward the value of the eternal reward far outshines the value of the temporal reward. There is no way to surpass the prestige of an eternal reward. It's the highest reward possible. Thirdly, they're uniquely precious. They're, they're prestigious in an unmatched way and they're uniquely precious. And, and again, the authority of the rewarding body determines the value, the value of any reward. The, the, the more precious the, the reward is is based on how precious the office is that gives it. And so I just wanna ask you this, is there something more precious than a reward given by Jesus Christ himself? Can you imagine Stepping before Jesus, he calls your name and he hands you a reward based on works done in righteousness. We're gonna go through detail about the crowns and the different rewards that we get. I mean, there's actually dozens of them when you look at the book of Revelation and you look at the different crowns. There's dozens of things that are named as rewards. But I just, I just think Jesus himself He calls your name and he puts the crown on your head that's from him. Oh my gosh. And it won't be a natural earthly crown. It won't just be some, you know, precious metal. That thing will have the life of God in it. That thing will be coursing with glory. I think this, whatever, and I'll go over this in a a later message, whatever the reward is, like the crown of life for those who have overcome and pressed against sin and have have overcome in this life, the crown of life that he gives, I think he puts that on your head and boom, life starts flowing through you, glory. Like every one of those rewards has power. It has glory on it. It has God life in it. It has who he is in the reward. So precious from Jesus himself. You could get the president's award for academic achievement. You could be the smartest person on the planet. You could get the Nobel Prize for being the biggest geek around. (laughs) And it's just zero compared to the white stone that Jesus wants to give you for overcoming. Compared to the the name he wants to give you that nobody knows except for himself. He's got a nickname for you. You're gonna get there and he's gonna go, I've been calling you cutie for a thousand years. <laughs> cutie? Yes. You're my cutie. I mean, whatever it is. You're, you're gonna have a name that he speaks to you. That's you. Glory. 
precious more than anything, more than anything. So I just say this in the notes, consider then how silly an award like the president's award for whatever achievement is in light of an eternal reward that Jesus may give. Fourthly, eternal rewards are utterly desirable. Now I've heard this, I've heard this from people over the years uh, as a, as a, a um, sort of an argument against eternal rewards. And it's not really an argument, it's, it's always said out of a good heart, but people will say this, they'll say, well, you know, I, I don't want any rewards from the Lord, I just want the Lord. And I go, that's really sweet. I, I appreciate what you're saying there. You just want the Lord. That's good. Yeah, I don't, I don't need any crowns. I, I, don't, I don't really want a white stone or a nickname. I, I don't really even care about a, a nice robe. I just want Jesus. I go, I, I appreciate that. That's sweet. But here's the point. Eternal rewards aren't our idea. They're his. It's his idea. And I'm pretty sure if he came up with it, it's probably pretty good. Probably a lot better than what you're imagining. Right? It's his idea. And it's something from him. It's, it's, it's something he wants to give. It, it's from his heart. I, I don't think you're trying to like, you know, turn down something that Jesus wants to give you. They're his idea, they're important to him, and it's important to him to give them to you. And I always think about the rewarding process, and I just think, Lord, I don't know how you do math, but it is the most, it is the best thing for us. Because here's the thing, you, you and I, we, we can't get saved without grace, and we can't do any works of righteousness without grace. So God's enabling ability applied to us actually gives us the, you know, stuff, the anointing to do works of righteousness, right? God's enabling ability, grace. So he puts the grace on us, asks us to do the thing. By the power he supplies, we do the thing that we could have never done without grace. And God says to us, good job, have a crown. I go, um, I couldn't have done this without you. He goes, eh, that's fine. Have a crown. I'm thinking the exchange rate is really, really over the top. We were just in Uganda, you know, it was like one to 3,600. Like that was a pretty intense exchange rate. The exchange rate that we're going to get for works of righteousness and the eternal rewards that are paid back to us that we never would have qualified for without the grace of God anyway, it's just gonna be Unbelievable. The way that he actually does the math, we can't even do the works without him. They're works that he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. They're his works. And he is gonna reward us. And ultimately it boils kind of down to just, just saying yes. You just say yes, you just obey and say yes. There is a day coming that is gonna blow your mind. And so the, the, the eternal reward coming from his heart that he came up with, that's his idea that he wants to give you, that is a desirable thing. Don't use that, well, I just wanted Jesus and I don't want any rewards. He wants to give you the reward. Just go ahead and get on his team with this. Yeah. And I will just say this, I've never seen a girl who is you know, about to get proposed to I've never seen this happen where the boy comes to her and he says, listen, I love you. Oh, I love you so much. She goes, I love you too. He goes, you know, this is the moment. I want to spend my whole life with you. She goes, oh my God, yes. Oh, you didn't ask it. Okay, did you want to ask me something? And he goes, yeah, I want to marry you. And drops to her knee, she goes, he goes, will you marry me? She goes, oh, yes! And he goes, and one other point, there won't be a ring because I know you want me and not anything I would give you. <laughs> she goes, huh? What? What? You better take that back. No! I mean, there, there's no way. That's not happening. Because in that moment, everyone knows. That girl's like, where's that ring? Where's the ring? 
And it's not just that you want a ring, it's that you want something from his heart that is a token of his love and affection and affirmation and a sign of his covenant. I've never seen a bride turn down the engagement ring. No, I just want you. I don't need that ring. I've never seen that. And neither should we. Eternal rewards are ultimately desirable. Utterly desirable. Amen. Flip on over. Now, we got to get clear on how eternal rewards work. And I'll go through this a little bit more detail in, in a day ahead. But let's just get clear on something. I'm going to talk about qualifiers for eternal rewards. First is this. Believers, now hear me really clearly right now. Believers are saved by grace, but we are rewarded based on works done in righteousness. This is a critical, critical thought. All right? Now, saved by grace. By grace, you're saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of yourself. There's nothing you can do to work for salvation. Jesus Christ shed his blood for you. You can't become good enough to accept that blood sacrifice. All you can do is just say, yes, I want your payment for my sin and I want to give you my life. Take me, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. There's nothing you're adding to that. He's done all the work. You're saved by grace through faith. You believe and receive. Now, works of righteousness, however, are the basis by which believers are rewarded. Works of righteousness. It's not about your salvation. It's about the rewards Jesus wants to give you. Look at these passages. Matthew 16, 27. The Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. And again, that Revelation twenty two twelve that we talked about, behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And this is where the rubber begins to meet the road. Because there's all sorts of invitations that the Lord gives us in his grace to operate in righteousness. And when we're talking about works of righteousness, we're talking about the, what would appear to be the smallest thing to, to what would appear to be the largest thing. But I think primarily for the majority of us, most of our works of righteousness that are gonna be weighed are really smaller things. Things that seem naturally insignificant. Stuff like just resisting a temptation, humbling yourself and saying yes to God. He actually makes it clear that the crown of life is given, James 1.12, to those who persevere through trial and temptation. I mean, most of what believers will be rewarded on, not most, all of what believers will be rewarded on is really not even what men value. But it's clear as a bell when you read through the passages in the New Testament that our works determine our rewards. Now, it's not so that you get in striving and get in the flesh and I gotta work, I gotta work for God. If I don't work for God, he's not gonna reward me. That's not the point at all. We, we do works by grace. But here's the real point, that there's all sorts of people that will be bringing with them things to the judgment seat that they really don't want to be judged on. And, and I say it like this, if you want to bring it to the judgment seat, I mean, uh, if, there's, if there's an area of sin in your life and you want to be judged on it and, and you decide, I just want to bring that to the judgment seat, then don't repent of it. I don't think we want that. And so this age, what it is, is a, it's a process of leaning into righteousness and resisting unrighteousness. Leaning into obedience and resisting disobedience. Leaning in to the grace of God and resisting quenching the Holy Spirit. 
And, and that's the way this thing ultimately works. He's not looking for perfect works. He's looking for the, the lean of the heart, the yes in the spirit that says, I want what you want and not what, what, what I want. I want your ways and not my ways. And, and, and so for me, when I think about my own works, man, I just start saying, Lord, I want you to judge me right now. Judge me right now so I don't get shocked at the judgment seat. Because it's clear in the Bible, many people will be shocked at the judgment seat. They'll be surprised. And let me just give a little side here. I've watched, I've been in ministry, it'll be this year, 23 years, full time. And probably five or six years bivocationally before that. But I've watched the trajectory of the, the generations, the last decade and a half, and, and it seems to me the sense of the judgment seat of God, the, the, the knowledge of, of uh, you know, eternal rewards or eternal judgment, the, the sense of the, of the wisdom that comes with the fear of the Lord, that it's, it's less in the last you know, five to 10 years than it was the previous 10 to 15. What, what do I mean by that? I mean, People are flippant. They're living really flippantly, really loosely. They, they don't care. I, I look at it in conversation. I see how people talk to one another. This little thing called social media, it's really brought down a lot of the barriers, hasn't it? You really get to see what's going on there. And people have no sense of propriety. They lack a sense of propriety, I think, because they lack a, a sense of, I'm talking about the Christians now. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the Christians. They lack a sense of propriety. They'll say about anything. They'll just, just wag a finger and speak their mind. And not just social media. I'm talking about interpersonal exchanges. I watch and see how people talk to one another. Of course, I get people that talk to me all the time. I get to see how people interact with me. And there is a general uh, lack of the sense of the fear of the Lord. And I think it has to do with the lack of the reality of the judgment of God. See, the fear of the Lord breeds wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. The Bible says it's clean. It's pure. It's righteous altogether. And we need the clean, pure fear of the Lord on us to instruct us in wisdom so we don't act foolishly in this age. And I watch people's interactions. I watch the petty things that people get all stirred up about. They get all hurt about, all offended about. And I go, oh my gosh, it's as if they've got no sense that every thought, every word, and every deed will be reviewed at the judgment seat of God. And it won't be another person they're actually giving an account to. They will look into the eyes of Jesus and give an account for everything they said, everything they did. And I'm, I'll just be, let me just be a little bit uh, vulnerable. There's so many times in my personal prayer life, as I watch interactions with people, I pray for people and I go, God, give them a sense of reality. Break them out of this so that they will not be judged according to this. They need to see who you are and see the reality of the ages to come. Break them out of it so they're not in shock when they stand before you. He's going to judge according to truth. I've said this before, but truth, it's not very friendly. Truth can be very, very unfriendly, but it's truth. It says in Romans 2, the judgment of God is according to truth. He knows, he sees, and there's one standard and it's him. And he's gonna measure us by his standard, not by what we felt, what we thought, what we thought was the best, what they said, and what I deserve. None of that will matter. Truth will matter. And he will drop that plumb line. If you think I'm being tough on it, no, I'm not being anywhere near tough enough. He says he will judge the works by fire. I, I haven't stuck my hand into a fire lately, but it's not real friendly. It's an impartial measure. He judges us according to our works. And that moment of judgment can be so blessed. It can be so amazing. It can be the best 
day of your life, or it can be a day that the Bible describes as where people suffer loss. He's going to judge us according to our works, gang, according to what we do. I put there in B, different works that the Bible says we will be rewarded on the basis of. Obedience, faithfulness, fasting and prayer, humility, perseverance, there it is again, suffering for righteousness, diligently seeking the Lord, generosity and love. This is not an exhaustive list, but this is a list that the scriptures are clear that he will give rewards on the basis of these activities. They all play a part in in the rewards that we receive in the age to come. Two things that immediately stick out to me about these. This list is not on any list of human achievement. There's just no list for obeyed God the most award. We, we always, on a human horizontal level, we always emphasize the things that God doesn't even care about. Fastest runner. Highest jumper. Longest spear thrower. Furthest rock thrower. I like athletics, but I'm just saying, like, really. Most balls carried into the end zone. All, I mean, all of our measures are based on all these human talents that don't even matter. The list of what's gonna be rewarded is almost, none of those show up on the, the list of human rewards. We have so many things we reward ourselves on and none of them even matter. The other thing I love about this list is it doesn't take any talent to do that. You can be the, you can be the least talented, least gifted person, slowest running, lowest jumping person and live completely obedient and live faithful. Do what he asks you to do. Live perseverant. You, you go for it even though it's hard. And you stay with it and you don't give up because the quote unquote grace lifted. Oh, glory. I'm not sure the grace ever actually lifts when God calls you to do something. I think it just gets tough. And we don't understand what perseverance is. Humility, suffering, multiple verses on being rewarded for suffering and righteousness diligently seeking the Lord, generosity, love, all of these things, they don't take any talent. You you don't have to be good at anything. You just have to love Jesus. He'll give you grace to do those things. Human measures like wealth and influence, human accomplishments and success, they're not on the list. He, he's not gonna go, wow, that was awesome. You, you, you made a lot of money. <laughs> it's just not there. Most of what we measure things by are things that don't even matter to the Lord. Man looks on the outside. God looks at the heart. His, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so, so far his way is above our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts. He thinks differently. He measures differently. All right, lastly this. 1 Corinthians 13, I mean three. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. This gives us the picture of the judgment seat. I just quoted this passage a minute ago, but I just wanna read it to you. We'll walk through this passage in detail in a day ahead. I just want to give it to you. And then I want to take us just through an exercise. I just want us to, to get in the mind of what it will be like on that day. I just want it to get clear for you. 1 Corinthians three eleven. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's no other way into the kingdom than Jesus Christ. He is the door and he alone. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved except for Jesus. 
Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, and each one's work, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Wow. So again, there's a day coming, we're all gonna stand before the Lord, and he's gonna review our works, and then he's gonna apply his measure to it, fire, and then the fire will tell us what kind of work it was. Which is interesting to me, because there's a lot of people with a lot of works that seem awesome to men, but there's many in that day that are gonna suffer loss And when the Lord applies his standard to their works, in one millisecond, it will be reduced to ashes. And then there'll be so many, I think, that they will show up before the Lord and you'll think, oh, I never heard of them before and they're not really bringing much and fire will hit it and it will be all gold. And then everybody go, what's their name? None of it got burned up. And we just don't really get it that the entirety of our lives and the trajectory of our heart and the lean of our soul, it matters and it's all going to be reviewed. Let's just get the worship team to come. It's all going to be reviewed. And so here's what I want us to do. I I want us to just, in a moment, we're just gonna... We're just gonna hold this passage before us and we're just gonna ask the Lord to make this super, super clear to us. We're gonna allow the Lord to crystallize this in our soul. So my, my great desire for us is that we would all live in light of this day to come and that we would all have works to present to Jesus that are, are, are works that will withstand fire and that will be seen as precious stones gold and silver. Amen.